Have you heard about all the drugs going around? I have. Now, back in the day, your father and I would handle this. And if he was here now, maybe we'd still handle it. But he's not. And that's on you. So, the way I see it, you gotta handle this. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 217. Releasing on DVD and digital on July 2nd is Crown and Anchor, a crime drama about two estranged cousins on the opposite sides of the law who cross paths again after a death in the family. An intense, brooding, and absorbing take on family abuse and the notion of manhood Crown and Anchor also marks the coming of filmmaker Andrew Rowe, who I'm glad to, glad to say joins me now on the podcast. Andrew, I thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. So, just reading about your movie, um, from what I understand, the script for the film is something that was conceived by your two leading men, uh, Michael Rowe, your brother, and Matt Wells. Um, when did you come on board on the story, and what was it about this story that really took, that really like interested you to take this on as your first feature? Uh, well, Matt is obviously a good friend of mine. He's my brother's best friend, so I've known him since I was a kid. And he had been working on a script for about, I think, two years, <coughs> trying to process what his mother went through with uh, an abusive alcoholic father and stuff, trying to take that inspiration and turn it into something he and Michael could act in because they're both actors. And so he sent me a draft i guess maybe it was his second or third draft and just asking for notes and i always believe in just giving like you know the most honest notes possible i i didn't you know i'm not going to be mean about it but i just gave him a whole list of things that i thought could be explored and little little hints that i thought were interesting that he should have like kind of gone down that path a little bit more and i didn't tell him what to do or anything because i never think that's a good way to give people notes i just kind of just said a few areas i thought he should kind of develop more and I think he was getting a little impatient because he'd already gotten some funding to start shooting kind of like within the next year. And I think what I laid out in front of him, he was kind of like, I don't know if I can do all this. I've been working on it for this long already. And so Michael kind of spoke to him and said, why don't you let Andrew take a crack at it? Like, he seems to have ideas. I think he's just not sharing them with you because he doesn't want to, like, ruin your own ideas, mm. which was the case. Mm. And so he said, OK, well, yeah, well, Andrew, why don't you see how you would tell this story because we're going to make it. We have some money. And if you write it, you can direct it as well. Cause I had just completed um, a short film a few months earlier that Matt was really impressed with. And so I was like, yeah, sure. Great. I, I mean, you're not going to turn down your first chance to direct a feature film. It's what you've been waiting for your whole life as a filmmaker. Right. So I, I dove in and over about four weeks, I churned out a first draft and it was a lot different, a lot darker. Uh, the characters were a lot more, um, intense and traumatized and it was kind of exploring more themes that i was interested in but but i spoke to matt at length before i started because i wanted to stay honest to what he wanted to do with it thematically and what was important to him because i did not want to drown that out or, or you know i knew this was important to him and I, I couldn't imagine already him handing it over to someone else to start from scratch i would never want to do that as a writer that's horrifying so the fact that he trusted me enough to do that and that he was he was happy when he read my draft, but at the same time, you know, had that tinge of sadness of so many of his ideas were lost forever. <laughs> but 
but it turned out well you know he he said this makes a lot more sense this is this is uh, a lot more filmable on our budget we're going to have because me as a director knowing what's achievable i kind of cut out some things he had in there that were going to be expensive and so yeah that's kind of how it happened um and then six months later we were filming the characters of james and danny very much opposites kind of like fire and water whenever they come together you just they just clash um, I read that Main Street um, was an influence in regards to how you wanted to kind of position those characters. And uh, you can definitely see it, like what De Niro and Keitel were doing in that movie. I think you could see a few things there in your film as well. Was that definitely something that you had in mind when you were trying to uh, position these characters uh, together? Absolutely. That's one of my favorite movies. And I, I always love movies. Heat's another great one where you've got two characters who are joined, but they're they're just two sides of the same coin almost like the, like they're just they're connected in in one way or another either through a relationship they have or the fact that you know in a movie like heat they seem to be the only two people in the world who are who are like each other they just happen to be complete opposites of what they want to do but they're, they're very similar and so i i kind of wanted to dive into a movie like that i've always wanted to because i've always loved that kind of storytelling and just the the messiness of De Niro and the other person, you know, Keitel just trying to just do what he thinks is right and not budging from what he thinks is right, even though he's kind of just signing his own, you know, life away by by attaching himself to this mess of a person. Yeah. And I've seen yeah. that play out in life, right? Like, that's true to life. Sometimes we have friends who it's just like, from the outside, if you could take a step back, you'd say, why on earth am I this person's friends? But you, but you want to almost help them. You love them and care about them and you don't. You don't want to just ditch them because you think you can help them be better, but we can't change other people, right? They have to change themselves. And, and all kinds of messy stuff like that I'd always wanted to explore. And so I kind of dumped a lot of ideas I've been holding on to into this movie and tried to make it as rich as possible, like from a character perspective and thematically, because, you know, you never know if you'll ever get to make another movie. So I, I took the approach of like, if this is the only movie I ever get to make for whatever reason, I want people to be able to watch it 10 times and still be getting different stuff out of it, right? Yeah, um, what I really liked about your characters, well, let's speaking specific to the character of James, as played by by Michael, um, is that he's a character who has this straight edge lifestyle, and usually in these brooding cop dramas, the cop protagonist has some sort of vice, whether it's uh, smoking or drugs or alcohol, stuff like that. It's almost kind of like par on course, part of what that character usually like on films. Um, James doesn't have that. Um, that straight edge. Um, part that you that we bring to that character is that something that was already there in Matt's script or is that something that you brought to it no it's something I brought to it and it was from I just one day it just occurred to me like I, before I started writing I was just thinking and thinking and thinking about you know who are these two people because I knew Matt and Michael had to play the the two main roles and I knew knew them both so well, and I started to think, what do I know about each of them that I can kind of position them off each other so that I can set up a role that they'll they'll really excel in, and I can tailor it to them because it's such a privilege to be able to write for who you know is going to be in the movie. And so it just occurred to me one day, I was trying to flesh out the, the world, and, and punk music just came to me as kind of being like what they would have been into coming from, you know, broken homes and, and just abusive situations. It just made a lot of sense to me that they would have been attracted to that and then that was kind of like the key piece of a puzzle that kind of filled out everything because i used to play in straight edge hardcore bands and i was in that scene and i love punk music and stuff so it just, it just gave a real 
a reality to it that I could then dive into, and it's like I knew these people then, and I could just, then when I was writing, it was like I was just watching them in my head. I wasn't forcing anything. It's like they were fully fleshed out as people, and it really appealed to me the dynamic of you know there's two different facets to punk music. There is the the straight edge hardcore, and then there's the very sloppy, drunk, messy punk. You know, like the the black flag type of thing, mm. the wasted mm. and the not giving a fuck about anything. And then there's a, you know, and I thought it'd be interesting to position those two styles of punk against each other, also with those characters, right? Like certain different kinds of music attached to each one. It just all became very interesting to me as another way to kind of show that they're connected and opposite. What I found really interesting about James as well is that he's always seems to be fighting against his nature, um, whether. Yeah whether that is something that's inherited or whether that's something from nurture, anger is a thing, his main weakness. He gives into it quite a bit. Even though know, he try, you can tell he tries really hard and, and I think Michael does great doing that kind of brooding kind of thing where he's bottling all this stuff inside, but when it explodes, man, it, it just it just comes out like like a volcano. Um, dealing with that issue of, of, of anger, um, is that a theme that you really wanted to talk about? Because a lot of these films, they deal with violence and a lot of the violence is usually kind of like to... Uh, to uh, quote Dave Chappelle, um, when things get real, um, you know, like a lot of that kind of stuff, they don't think about it. It's going to launch into it. Is that something that you really, you really wanted to touch on? Yeah, it was. It was a. It was a thing where I I knew I was playing with like kind of when I had the structure of the story. I knew it was kind of sadly going to be kind of a, a cliched like structure to the story in terms of like oh it's two people who are related and they're on different sides a lot. Like I know we've seen that before. But I, w- I took the approach of, I want to make this feel very fresh so that people don't even characterize it as that kind of movie because it's so character-based. Mm. And that, 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 was, that came down to how I shot it and everything like that. It was all about characters and reality. Um, and that was something I thought would be a very interesting, realistic approach. Was And it was something I think I saw touched on a little bit in the movie Drive with uh, Ryan Gosling. was like, you know, the, you get these sort of uh, caricatures of... Um, masculine men who are the strong silent type and who can throw down when they have to but that's that's not healthy and it's like if that that existed in real life what would that look like and i thought that drive did a touched on it a little bit and i've seen maybe it a, a few other times but in this one i wanted to really dive in there and not not be heavy-handed with it but but be honest with what that would look like and where that would come from in a person and how that would be dealt with by them and it became interesting to me the more I dealt with that, the fact that I was like, wow, I don't know which of these two people is a worse human being. I mean, they both have reasons for being, you know, malcontent and, and problematic and how they fit in with others. But but they're, you know, they're human. They're very human, but they're flaws. It's like, I don't know that I would want to be one over the other. And that became interesting to me because it was a it wasn't that question because they were both doing obviously bad and wrong things. One of them was could tell himself that he was extremely moral, right? Like the whole straight edge life and being a cop, that he's always on the right side morally. But then that gave him a sense of superiority, which became problematic in terms of narcissism. And then his anger and not, you know what I mean? All those things started to paint this picture of like, yeah, at first glance, maybe he's got it together, but this is just a, a deep, dark mess of a person. And that became fascinating to me. Another theme that resonates really strongly in the film is that of trauma and trauma com- coming from abuse. And um, I'm just going to do a really kind of long bow kind of uh, theory here in regards to the characters. Um, so you have Danny. Uh, so so uh, let's start with James. So you have James who has a father who's an alcoholic. 
um, and then you have Danny, who's a victim of clerical abuse, and the role of the priest, kind of like a symbolic kind of father in the community uh, within the church. Um, and so, to me, when I when I think of crown and anchor, I think of crown. I think of the king. I think of the head, the table. I think of fathers. And in this case of this movie, it seems like fathers of all different ilks have failed their sons. And Danny seems to be a father. He's a father himself. He's trying really hard not to fail his family, but that his better nature always takes over him. Am I drawing a bit too long of a bow there, Andrew? Am I on point there? Keep going deeper. You're on the exact right track. (laughs) You can keep going. Yeah. I see. I, I I figured as much. That's something I really took from there. Is that when you kind of bring in clerical abuse in there and kind of like I'm, I'm guessing the the background of the family is Irish and so there's a culture there as well. Does Autodac stuff kind of just is that something that you really want to just throw in into your into your writing in regards to this film? Yes, it was. It was it was definitely a big major theme. And I, I don't think I knew that consciously till I started doing subsequent drafts and kind of analyzing my own work. But like, I, I knew they they had to both be damaged, and their and what was damaging them had to link up. And it just occurred to me that it would be you know one's one's father. It, it just became so much messier if if one person had an abusive father, who then the own their closest friend who that you would confide in that kind of idolized that person and wouldn't acknowledge their problematic abusive behavior and then i thought well why wouldn't he and then it kind of occurred to me that oh he he helped him right like so if he was his hero you're you're gonna have that those you know goggles on and you're gonna see him as a hero for the rest of your life given what he helped him with but the abusive thing that was more tied to the to to newfoundland by by picking that because that was a huge thing when i was a kid so much of the the sexual abuse came out about the you know priests and and the clergy and everything and i just thought that that was very true to where it was set was if i was going to pick something to happen to somebody in that age group that that would be a very realistic thing to have happened to them and i always thought that anyone who's going to be a drug addict it's it's always going to be and i think studies have started to show this it's always going to be to drown some level of trauma like no one just decides yay i'm going to be addicted to drugs because they're awesome like it's always it's it's fixing something in yourself you're trying to cover this problem up with with addiction and with substance abuse and so i I thought that it would be fun to explore that too and kind of maybe get people who never thought about addiction that way to see somebody who has a very messy addiction and is a parent and it's very uncomfortable to watch but you you receive them as a fully formed human being and you you realize, okay, I can kind of understand why he's that way. What else was he going to do with the tools he has and the resources he has in front of him and his handicaps as a person? Like, none of these people are going to seek, seek uh, help or seek therapy because people from their, you know, background don't even see that as an option. Yep. That's, that's true to life, right? And so uh, all these things then can spark, you know, conversation in the audience about what they think about these things i'm not trying to answer any questions but i i'm trying to pose a lot of interesting ones because i feel like that's the best way to make a movie another thing about uh newfoundland which is your hometown is that correct yes uh, and um is the movie set in there in there as well and shot there as well yeah it was shot in st john's which is the capital which is where i grew up and um it's a coastal town but you'd never know that because i purposely never showed the ocean yeah uh which was a choice because I wanted to make a movie that was very different than any movie that I'd ever seen made there because a lot of them had the same kind of cliches that would happen in terms of like 
the people there are friendly, the people there are, are good-natured and humorous, and the, people, the, the ocean is ever-present and the beautiful landscape and everything. And I didn't want to show any of that because I figured if people are trapped there, your view of where you are is very different than that of a tourist. And so, yeah, the ocean is right next to them, but they're not looking at it anymore. They're not taking in that beauty. It doesn't matter because they're just stuck in their homes and in their rut of life and you know what i mean so we don't need to see that we should always be very much in their world and their world doesn't include the stuff you'd see in tourism ads and speaking of stuff you don't see in tourism ads i was doing some reading about newfoundland and um in regards to addictions it seems like there is a prominent drug problem there as well especially regards to cocaine but the interesting thing is that Look, um, there was a report I read about first quarter arrests in 2019, and the average age like was adults. Youngest was 30, oldest was 61. Is this a generational thing? And does that tie in to what we were talking about, talking before about how when you were growing up, there was all these big scandal about abuse in the church? Do the two things tie in together? Yeah, I think so. I think that that's definitely a generational thing, and I think that. Drugs came there, it was an isolated place, and it came there a little later than elsewhere and kind of organized crime with that in terms of who brought the drugs in and, and what kind of drugs they brought in. It kind of started to happen when I was uh, an early teen. You kind of started to see the difference because when I was a kid, uh, the cops didn't carry guns. Mm. Police only got guns when I was, I think, 11, and it freaked everyone out. And there was, like, never murders. There was, like one murder a year when I was a kid. It was like shocking if someone was murdered. And then all of a sudden, it just seemed like there was drugs and there was a lot more violent crime. And I think that there was a lot of people there dealing with stuff that took to the drugs very quickly, as there would be anywhere. But yeah, I wanted to dive into that because I also felt like that was a realistic depiction of, of what St. John's is, at least now and has been for a number of years. Well, to me, I think it all just comes together so so well. I mean, it's rich in character, rich in place. You finally are going to have the film out for well, uh, audiences around the world to see July 2nd. The film actually premiered at a film festival in 2018, so you've been sitting on this film for a while. How does yeah. it feel now to have the film finally be out there in a few weeks? Um, <laughs> and, and now that it is out, going to be out there, how soon are you going to transition to the next project? Do you have ideas about what you want to work on next? Yeah, I do. I've got several scripts I've, I'm working on, and I also have some ideas about this uh, this world because I, I I had to come up with a lot of background information for these characters in order to flesh them out so much. And I and I said when I was writing it, I felt like I could have wrote a mini series about it because I had to think about the previous generations and what they were like and how that would have impacted this one, and then what the next one's going to be like. And so we've been toying around with that idea of maybe doing it as a series where we really dive into the the bigger picture of the family history. So that's something that I've been working on. And then there's a couple other uh, film scripts I've got written or in stages of writing. And I'm hoping to get to make something else because, I mean, this was my first movie and I learned so much doing a feature in 15 days. It was crazy. And, like, I look back on what I could have done differently or been better at and I'm so geared up to do the next thing that I feel like it's going to be so much better and I and I thought I did a reasonably good job for a first feature on this one so I'm so psyched to get a chance to make another movie I feel like I got I got a good one in me um, but yeah it's very exciting to have it be released it's it's weird because I've been kind of finished with it for a long time but it's been kind of hanging there not fully released and that that's been kind of a, a, a weird uh, no man's land but I'm I'm just excited for people to see it, and I hope they take to it. And if they don't, I hope they don't take to it for the right reasons because it, 
it's uh, it strikes them too too closely, or they find the characters too unlikable, or something. I, I, you know what I mean? Like, not everybody's up for a movie like this. But I can I can accept if people hate it if they hate it for a good reason. But <laughs> I just hope people don't hate it for a wrong reason. Let's just say that it's always nerve wracking when you release something into the world, and you know you got to take the good with the bad. But I'm just excited for it to finally get out there because I know a lot of people have been hearing about it in certain circles, and they haven't had a chance to see it because it played theaters, but only in a few cities. And it didn't play, you know, only only about ten festivals. So I'm really excited for people to get a chance and and for me to start getting wider feedback on on what's resonating and what's not resonating, just to kind of learn as a filmmaker what I maybe did right and what I did wrong. Well, look, I absolutely love the filming. So congratulations to you, everyone out there. July second. Crown and Anchor, starring Matt Wills and Michael Rowe, directed by Andrew Rowe, who's just joined me right now on the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast. Andrew, I thank you very much for joining me today. Once again, congratulations. I'm a big fan of your film, and I can't wait to see what you got next. Oh, thank you so much, Matt.